Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. This week's episode features Erica Shoemate. She is the founder of Pinrose Perfume. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Julian and Cody Levine. They are the founders of Smile Twice. Hey, it's Jody again. Before we launch into this week's episode, I want to tell you about an organization called Helpsy. I first came across Helpsy thanks to our Base Beauty team member, Julie Chen's Instagram. And she was with her friend walking into Bloomingdale's to see Helpsy containers. And I didn't know what that was. And I did a little research. And um, I really believe in their mission, so we wanted to partner with them for the month of July. So it's hard to believe, but over 85% of clothes wind up in the trash. Helpsy makes reusing and recycling your clothes and shoes more convenient and easier than ever with over 1,800 collection containers and growing. You can find your closest collection container and learn more at helpsy.co. I hope you check it out. Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am sitting with Erica Shumi. She is the founder of Pinrose Perfume. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you. And I want to apologize on air for missing our first intake call. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Because I... Um, if I'm not like glued to the calendar or somebody like knocking me on my shoulder, I just sort of, you know, you're in the zone, zone out. Or the- <laughs> and the day that we were supposed to talk, um, I actually had this feeling of like lightness in my calendar and I'm like, oh my God, this is so amazing. I could just kind of sit here and relax and go through Instagram and needless to say I was missing our call. So, well, I don't want you to feel guilty. One of my tenants of all of my friendships is never I never, guilt is the worst thing to feel in a friendship. So if we see each other, it's beautiful and we don't, and we miss each other, it's fine. And I didn't feel any, don't worry about it. And I hope you don't feel, feel any of that. Well, I felt actually incredibly light and wonderful um, at, the, at the time. So, um, but I do like to stick to the schedule. Yes. You know, everybody works really hard to make these meetings happen. And well, thank you so much for being here. I know you're visiting from out of town. Where are you based? Uh, in San Francisco. And our office is uh, in the Mission District in this old building that has forever been an animator studio. So it's cool history. The the area, the mission has always been used for that. So it's a creative space. And what is um, the purpose of your visit in New York City? Oh, um, a bunch of things. We I come out to New York probably every other month. Uh, we do a lot of our physical production of our products in New Jersey and in New York. And then... Uh, we had a team meeting, we're visiting retailers, doing press, so a whole host of things. Well, thank you for spending time with us today. Yeah, thanks. So what is the rest of your day going to hold for you? Um, I actually only have one more meeting and I'm flying back tonight. So uh, I, um, but earlier this morning was having breakfast with one of our key suppliers who takes all of our components and actually makes the product. So a really important relationship and one that uh, we value a lot and he's actually an advisor to our company too. So always working on the supply chain side of things and making sure that we're, um, making high quality product, but also doing it in a way that, you know, as a scaling business, it's very easy to run out of cash if you're growing too fast. And so keeping an eye on production and making sure that that cash flow is rolling, um, in the proper way is extremely important. And so that's where we're at right now and keeping an eye on that and working with him to make sure that the supply chain is is dialed in a way where we don't 
kill the business by growing too quickly. Right. I um, just read an article. Well, I should say I skimmed an article about a fragrance company that just sort of abruptly went out of business. And my guess is it's, you know, for something very similar to what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, there's a, especially when you when you do omni-channel, right? You're um, meeting demands of, of a bunch of different channels and retailers and everyone has different needs and it's a beautiful thing. But also when, you know, some of these bigger retailers have a lot of, of demands for, you know, for better or worse, um, and you're, you know, they say jump and you say how high it's, you're trying to make that relationship work and you just have to be really careful to not overextend yourself. And it's tough. It's really, yeah. So um, you used to have a co-founder mm-hmm. and now you run the business on your own. Mm-hmm. So all of this stuff falls on your shoulders. Yes. Right. So um, tell me about the transition between having a partner and then um, running the business solo. Yeah, of course. Well, you know, I actually still, I'm very good friends with my co-founder. I was with her on Monday. She uh, is still on the board of the company. I think we're very lucky in both our friendship, but our founding experience too. Um, It definitely helped a lot to have a co-founder in the beginning where we were feeling the the viscerally the highs and lows together. Um, And Honestly, you know, she she left now a year ago from the day to day of the business. I'm, it was a mourning period. Like I miss her. I still miss her, and um, we really tried to make time for and space for us to go through that transition, um, knowing it was going to be tough and not knowing how each of us were going to feel. She felt sad. I felt sad. You know, and then, um, but also now, really trying to step into the role on my own and being able to figure out new needs of the business and, and hopefully restructure things, take the opportunity to really, um, look at the company with, uh, with an eagle eye and just be like, all right, where, given the state of the company, the age of the company, what, how do we structure this and, um, who do we need to bring in? And it was an opportunity for growth and just really, you know, looked at it that way a year ago and, and still am now. And I think that's, you know, bringing in people who are experts and really trying to, to, um, what I was shouldering a lot of that work, really trying to be like, you're the owner of this domain, you know best, go for it. And that's a challenge when you've been the one doing it all the time to say, okay, I'm going to step back and not mess up your work because <laughs> ultimately that's what I would do if I messed with their stuff. So when I um, go through these moments where I need to learn, teach myself how to delegate again, I literally sit on, like I put my hands under my butt <laughs> and I sit and I'm just like, I don't have to be the one to respond to the email now. The person on the team will get, get to it. It doesn't have to be this second. Mm-hmm. It could be five minutes from now. It could be five hours from now. We'll be fine. And I like literally sit on my hands to keep them away from the email. I'm going to do that. That's a great idea. <laughs> I imagine though when um, she parted ways with the day-to-day, your gut instinct was like to text her like about like a thousand different mm-hmm. things, right? Like almost like a breakup, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, this is not the person I turned to to mm-hmm. talk about this right now. How many weeks of like having to stop yourself was there to transition that? Um, so we, we knew that she was going to be departing for about three months. So we actually had time to craft the transition and um, we had goals of what we wanted her to be able to hand off once she you know, physically left the office. And then there were a set two weeks where she would be available for certain hours for, for uh, uh, another person we had brought in who was doing, taking on some of her work. So um, that was, and then after that, it was kind of like, it was just cold turkey mm-hmm. and be like, that's, you know, let, we'll figure it out. Um, and every now and then we'll reach out to her and be like, Hey, do you remember why we made this decision? <laughs> like, it's, it's, is that, you know, and we'll 
but every now and then she's happy to do that. But it was, it was definitely helpful to have a phased approach, but then also have a date where it's like, all right, you're done. You're free. (laughs) What a wonderful story to tell though, that you had an amicable, um, transition. Yeah. Right. You don't, I mean, I really don't hear that story a lot. I hear like, we weren't getting along. It wasn't a good fit. We weren't on the same page. I hear that often. So how incredible to be able to be growing this business and know that a partner has moved on and yet there's still so much goodwill and good feelings. Mm -hmm. It's like good vibes. I hope so. Yeah. And I think there's a few things we did. Um, Number one is when we first started working together, we set out our values and we made a short list and we actually called it the nest and it was like this fragile thing that, you know, our relationship was in the nest and just like a baby bird, you would handle the nest with care. And so whenever we had any, you know, disagreements, confrontation, disagreements are great in a business, by the way. So it's not like that's a bad thing, but anytime we were, were worried that someone might be stepping on each other's foot or something, we'd go back to the nest and be like, okay, what are our values? What's our North star? And a lot of times, ultimately, especially with her departure, like, the negative feelings come from fear and, you know, oh, I'm scared to do this without you, or I'm scared you have too much equity, or I'm scared, you know, and, or I'm scared you're going to be running the business in this way and not worry about this. So we, I think we really tried our best to articulate those fears and not let them take over because I think that's really easy where all of a sudden you're like, especially in an ownership perspective. Um, And if we were able to go back to the brand values, which were our values as well as a partnership, we could be like, all right, are we acting in a way where, you know, this is, uh, we're, we're adhering to those values and also putting our friendship in, you know, paramount and making sure that this relationship stays on because this company was born from us and it needs both of us, whether or not she's working day to day on the business. So, um, you know, and that's it. We're, it's, it's still evolving and her role is changing, my role is changing. So it's this constant like, okay, how do we, how do we best position the company and make sure that we're good stewards in our appropriate roles and, and make sure that we're, we're still aligned. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so let's go back in time. Um, what, um, what led you on this path to be the founder of a fragrance brand? (laughs) Um, like let's talk like first job out of college. Oh yeah, for sure. So, um, well, in college, I actually studied smell. So I was a history of science major and focused on olfaction. So I've always been very deep into how smell works in the brain and um, obsessed with fragrance in my whole life and why memories and smell are so tightly linked, all that. So I came out of, out of college and I was like, I don't know what to do with this besides become a perfumer. And that sounds awesome and all well and good, but I am very extroverted and like to work with a lot of people and So I was like, that job, I just have a feeling is not going to be quite right for me. Um, Long story short, I knew I wanted to start something eventually. I didn't know it was going to be a fragrance brand, but I thought, let me go work with a a young startup type company, learn what that feels like, what it's like, see if it's for me and go from there. So I joined a, a... a company in based in San Francisco that financed large scale solar installations. Uh, and so for three years was doing, uh, work with that company. So everything from, uh, fundraising, uh, grants from the government tax credits to fund the projects to creating, um, opportunities for at-risk youth to help, uh, maintain solar panels in certain parts of the Bay Area. It was a whole host of things and really got to see a company go from 10 people to 50 people and work on a lot of different parts of the business. 
ultimately loved it, but didn't feel as creative as I could be or as confident and creative as I could be. And I was like, I got to go. I feel like I got to go to business school so I know what levers I can pull because right now I'm like grasping at things and I feel like I could be more clever about this. So applied to business school, went to business school where I met uh, my co-founder and, you know, I always helped friends find fragrances and it was no different with uh, Christine. We were chatting about beauty routines or like getting ready together or something like that. And, you know, you're like, oh, what blush do you use or this or that? And I was like, oh, what fragrance are you wearing out tonight? And she was like, oh, I just wear whatever, you know, my mom gave me for my birthday. And I was like, what? You have all this purchasing power in every category. And like you, what? And this was the same story I'd heard again and again. And it's like, it's overwhelming. I have to find a signature scent. I don't know if it's a signature. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's not real. It's not based in science. And like, let's go to the store and I'm going to help you find a fragrance. And so out of that experience, it was like, wait, there's a great opportunity here. This is a, a big industry that's really celebrity and designer driven. We could leverage the science that I've learned and infuse it into the actual brand and not only make products that service the customer where she's at, which is like, she doesn't care about being a celebrity or designer. She wants to be her own star of her own show. She's taking selfies. Like, let's make her the face of the brand. And then also make the buying experience a lot easier. And um, so that's how Pinrose was born. And what does Pinrose mean? So it's a, Pinrose is a combination of two uh patterns that are inspired, that have fractal-like geometry to them. So fractals are these uh, beautiful mathematical equations that create these amazing visuals. And the visuals are the closest tie to nature uh, that we've seen in, in mathematics. So um, Christine and I had bonded over these and we were, when we were working on the, on the brand, we were like, well, fragrance is this beautiful mix between science and art. And perfumers are organic chemists who spend years crafting from a chemistry perspective, and yet they're inc incredibly creative. So what if we use this to, to symbolize uh, our fragrance company? And so we picked our two favorite, the pinwheel tiling and the penrose tiling, and we merged them together and created pinrose. And um, yeah, so that's that's how it was born. I um, I can see the the shapes in the packaging yeah. and your marketing, like um, the fra fractals yeah. mm -hmm. um, represented. It's pretty cool. Yeah, there's lots of triangles in both of those patterns. And so you'll see it on the bottle. On um, We have a fragrance called Pinrose and that whole, uh, the design on the packaging is the mix of those two pinwheel and, and Penrose tilings. Can we just go back to, I guess, um, high school? Because I have never met someone who said, oh, they studied the science of sense. <laughs> um, how did you even get on that path? So I was always, I always did science experiments. Like I was the kid and- seventh and eighth grade to go to the state science fair and like, you know, try to get the blue ribbon and do it like had, um, my basement set up with like bacteria and trying to figure out dude experiments. So I always loved, loved science and, um, thought maybe, Oh, maybe I'll become a doctor of the nose or something. I don't know. I was had aspirations of helping people. And, um, but why the nose? I was so since, Honestly, I think it dates back to when I was like five or six and I was asking one of those stupid questions to your parents when you're annoying and small, like, oh, what, you know, if you could lose one sense, what would it be, you know? And my parents were like, where did you come up with this question? And like, I don't know, what's your answer? And I was like, well, smell, because taste is important for this and that and the other. And my dad just looks at me and goes, are you sure about that? And then ever since that day, I think I was just like highly attuned to the power of smell. And then once I learned that, like, everything you taste is actually smell. I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe I changed my answer. Right, is that why, like, I take one bite of dessert and it's amazing and then after the other bites, I don't 
you really get, taste yeah, it anymore. You can, you can become anosmic. Maybe, yeah, so that means your your receptors are becoming filled and you don't get the same vibrations. But honestly, it's like when you have a cold and you can't taste mm-hmm. food. Right. It's because your nose is stuffed and you can't smell right. what you're eating. So you get the salty and the sweet, the taste buds, the um, but you don't get the actual what they call retronasal olfaction when you swallow and the smell goes up into your olfactory bulb. Right. So So this is taking us on a tangent (laughs) to my eating habits, but, um, you know, when I do have a cold food is less entertainment for me. Yeah. Right. It's like totally nourishment. It's like, I'm hungry. I feel my belly and then it's over. Whereas when I am healthy, it becomes entertainment. And that's, you know, when I you know, go too far with the sugar or whatever mm-hmm. because of my powers of smell, right? Mm-hmm. That's really the entertainment aspect of it. Totally. Um, so, um, yeah, I almost feel like my body, when it needs me to take a break from eating unhealthy, it actually gives me a cold. It gives I know you that, a little. Yeah, like to like slow down, Jody. you know, like <laughs> to stop. I feel, yeah. I, I don't know, I mean, I believe in universal forces and I think my body's really smart. So I feel like it's telling me something. Yep. And uh, I was like, listen to your... Listen to what you actually need, and right, yeah. And then the having a cold, um, losing maybe that sense a little bit helps me slow down and wake up. It's so cool. It's a, it's a really like there's so much. Part of the reason I was so fascinated once I did start studying it in college is because there's a lot unknown about the sense of smell too. Because it's very elusive to study, even for scientists. There's a lack of vocabulary around um, how to even measure smells because it's all when you try to describe it, you're like, well, intensity on a scale of one to 10 or like, you know, it smells like this. It's not, there's not this scale or tool that we can refer to. And so, um, it's, it's really elusive. So it's, it's cool to start to, to really look at what are the impacts of the nose. So like, um, it's, we have found that women on, on average are better at smelling than men. And they've done some studies that show that in a, um, a hetero couple that's looking to procreate women will choose men that's, that smell good to them based off of the difference in their DNA. So they create the most healthy offspring. So like it's, that's something that can be studied. Yeah. They did the, uh, I think uh, they did this t-shirt test is probably the most famous test that they've done where they had men wear t-shirts for a period of time. And then they had, um, uh, they gave the t-shirts to a group of women to smell and each of them ranked the t-shirts on how good they smelled to them. And then they looked at their DNA from each and um, found that women were choosing men with the most compatible um, DNA for the most healthy offspring. So I always tell my friends, listen to that. Like if <laughs> if you're, you know, when you when you're kissing someone or whatever, kissing is actually smelling that person and men have a lot of, um, um, they secrete, uh, smells through the mustache area. So you're literally smelling them before you decide if you want to go any further. So this is amazing and definitely a new dynamic of dating. <laughs> exactly. And so there's, anyway, this is, it, there's all sorts of things like that where I'm like, smell is pretty, it's something that we don't talk about that much because it feel, I don't know, it's like the most people think of it as the most base of the senses and, um, you know, can't see it. So it's like, it feels less important, but yet it really drives a lot of what we do. And especially from a psychological perspective too, it can be really impactful, which we talked about. Does your dad remember this conversation with you? I asked him recently and he says no, but I have it like seared in my brain. Right. So this is a great transition to um, talking about parenthood Mm -hmm. um, because my kids are 11 and eight. So they ask a lot of things Mm -hmm. and um, 
you know, sometimes I'm pretty zoned out, right? I'm thinking about like, let's let's get going to school, put your shoes on, put your shoes on. And they're asking and I'm just going, uh-huh, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, but these moments for your, the kids are, every moment is important, right? Every moment is, could be a big thing. And it's like this story with your dad is such a reminder of that. Yeah. And like, it's also terrifying as a new parent. You're like, think you're like, oh, maybe I'll have this really meaningful conversation for them. And it just like goes away. But the one thing you say off the cuff some other time, like really sticks. Um, but I really like that he reframed the question or just put the question back on me. And I was like, just by doing that made my head start to really pay attention to yeah, it. Yeah, so. it's incredible. So yeah. um, let's talk that you're a new mom. Your mm-hmm. baby is six months old. Yeah, she's six and a half months old. Her name is Sienna. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll ask for pictures after our oh, recording. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so we had a conversation, which I thought was really interesting about um, now that you're a parent, you look at... Um, parents coming back into the workplace in a completely mm-hmm. different way than you ever thought of before. Can you mm-hmm. walk us through what, what you've been thinking about? Definitely. So um, there's a couple of things. One is I, you know, ever since I started working, I think I, I noticed the need for, you know, this like nine to five that we've created or nine to seven, whatever it is, you know, has worked for a period of time under a certain system. And, um, and I think, you know, obviously times have changed. There's a lot more women in the workforce and, um, and the biological imperative of a female to have a child is necessary for our species to, you know, continue to exist. And it's also a beautiful thing for people to have families and all of that. So how do you make sure that you're structuring business such as that they can not only partake, but thrive and build a career and, um, and all that. And so, um, I definitely have a new found appreciation for what it takes to actually, um, onboard and come back to, business if, you know, the amount of time you want to spend at the office your first day back. Does it make sense to do an eight-hour day or do you want to do, you know, three, four-hour days and a five-hour day and do that for a couple weeks and just like build up your confidence in your balancing and then take, take, have an on-ramp back into the workforce. Um, The other thing that I've been looking at a lot too is just um, we have a, 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 a new employee who's phenomenal and took some time to really be a mom. And as she's was looking for a career path back into the workforce, but not having to start exactly nine to five. And it's like, well, you're a badass. You're going to get your stuff done. I trust you structure your time and your hours, however is best for you and your family. And, um, I think that's really important. And I see a lot of opportunities. The other thing that I also see is like for people that don't have their their person yet, if they do want a partner and want a family, like they also need time to be able to find that. And so not expecting people who don't have that to work, to, to work all these hours or bear this, you know, crazy burden or have to have the FaceTime. I think it's really trusting people no matter what they're, you know, if they're taking care of a parent or it's just, it's creating a working environment such that people can have their outside goals mean something to them. And so I'm actively trying to think about that and also look at some people need more structure, want more structure. And I like going to an office. So like I, you know, personally, I know I need that too. So just checking in with everyone to make sure we can structure the the company so that people can work in a way that's, aim, you know, works for them and is most efficient and therefore makes their, their lives on their time alive, like worth something and meaningful. So. It's such a important topic for me because I, um, I started my agency for that reason. I, mm-hmm. I was had a full-time job. I left that full-time job and I'm like, how do I make a career for myself where I can 
work a way that's going to allow me to eventually be the mom I want to be. And I didn't see it around me. And it it honestly didn't even occur to me that maybe it exists somewhere else. I just assumed it didn't exist. And it probably didn't, quite frankly. This is, I'm like 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just knew that whatever I do from this day forward, it's going to be so that I can live the type of life I want. And then as my company went from just me to me and other people, it was about how do I... Um, how do we all work this way? Mm-hmm. Like, it, this isn't just about Jody working this way. Um, it's about everybody working in a way that supports their life. So mm-hmm. when I talk about life work balance, I always put life first because mm-hmm. a lot of people write work <laughs> life balance. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but that does, that's contrary to actually what I'm looking mm-hmm. to achieve. Like, there's um, when you work with talented people who are smart and ambitious and mm-hmm. want to support your goals, they're going to get stuff done. They're going to get it done quickly and they're going to mm-hmm. be able to then move on and do other things in their day. And not just parents. I mm-hmm. agree with you. Like we have members of our team who are dancers or singers or have pets they love. Like, so mm-hmm. my focus and um, I'm able to see this in um, like as torture tested as we grow and bring on more people is that um, – you're working the way that works for you. So mm-hmm. there's people that come to me and say, I want a full-time job. Okay. There's people that come to me and say, I don't want a full-time job. Okay. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So as long as the Department of Labor is happy, yep. you know, I'm happy. Right? So we understand those rules and those limitations and find roles for people. Um, and I'm equally proud of that as I am of the work. So it can be done. I've been practicing this for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And I invite you and any other listeners, if they want advice on this, like reach out at any moment because it's important. It's, it's so our awesome. future. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I think you're right on. Yes. So um, let's talk about what the, what the future of Penrose, like where do you see this going? You know, you, you talked about having all these different constituents to support, mm-hmm. right? Retailers, your, your online customers, growth of the brand. Mm-hmm. What do you see coming at you for the next few years? So right now we're really focused on um, a couple of things. Number one is our community of, of Penrose, Penrose customers that we currently have and making sure that we're not ignoring them just for the sake of growth, but also just making sure that we're delivering on uh, new product ideas that they've helped with mm-hmm. and, and all of that. Um, we are also looking to expand our own .com. We are in a few different retailers, which has been great. Our team has been focused on really setting those up for success. And um, we're at a point now where I feel like those are in a, in a good place and we can spend more time and resources on our own.com and really create some cool experiences for people there. And it allows us to be more experiential with the brand and also I think bring in, we can merchandise things in a way, in our own way, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're at different retailers, there's different merchandising restrictions for, which totally makes sense, you know, and that's the experience they're creating. And so um, it's really fun to play in those different sandboxes and like think about how your brand can fit within their merchandising realm and how they speak to their customer. Um, And then what I'm also excited to do is get to do that on our own site and think about what that experience is like for her and um, really create this experience where she can go to Sephora, she can go to Anthropology, she can't, you know, and she can come to our site and get, have her create this scent playlist for her life in her own way that she wants to. And um, if you were um, going to think back to yourself when you were working on the solar panel mm-hmm. company, yeah. um, you know, what would you have hoped would happen like versus what is actually happening for you? Man, 
that's so, I think I would, I'd be really happy because at that point in time, I was, you know, in my early twenties, I was kind of like just figuring out what the world was actually like. I had had jobs through since high school, but it, you know, when you're not full time, there's not the same sense of like really seeing, seeing things for me at least. Um, and so, and I was like, how do I want to spend my time on earth really? And like, and, um, there were pieces of what I was doing that I liked, but it didn't feel fully me. And so, you know, and I was like one of those, there's this song, um, by the dirty projectors, it's called stillness is the move. And I would just think in my head at that time, I was like, stillness is the move. Keep your head down and keep working. Cause you're learning a lot and you'll know when it's time to make a move, but it's not now. And it was so frustrating. Cause you're like, I want to run. I want to sprint. I want to do all the things. And like, and, um, I, I think now if, you know, my, my former self would be really excited to be like, Oh, I'm glad you stayed focused and learned and took the time to what I call chop wood, carry water, like just do the things. Cause I'm still doing that now, but I think in a, in a company that a, I get to be more creative in, which is fantastic for me and then B for my personal fulfillment and then B get to work and work with people that I adore and structure an environment where I hope that they feel not only safe, but really empowered. So, um, yeah, thanks for asking that. It makes me feel gratitude for what, what we've built so far. Yeah. I love looking back and, um, identifying progress. It helps me get a, any, like of the, the yeah. noise in my head, um, oh, is actually the inner critic who's so yeah. mean. <laughs> um, my, in my son's school, they had the kids write a letter to their future self so it was like you write it in September mm-hmm. and um, they just opened it. Um, and I just think that's the coolest so idea. Sweet. Yeah, I, think, I feel like we should all do that. That would be, I'm going to go do that. Yeah. Make, I love time capsules. <laughs> that's really sweet. So my last question to you, because I know a lot of our listeners who are entrepreneurs are like super excited to hear your story. Um, when you started the company, was this self-funded or did you get, get um, funding from outside mm-hmm. resources? How did you approach that? We did um, raise a little bit of capital from outside resources. Um, it was through actually classmates from ours at business school um, who were investors. And any money we took, we made sure to make very clear that, A, you know, this is an investment and it might go away. So there's that. And then we took that little bit of cash to work on vetting the industry and the idea and making sure we were going to be good work wives, we call it, you know, just like making sure all that was happening. And, um, within a few months decided, okay, we're going to go raise a bigger amount of money. And we raised a convertible note. Um, and that was, which is a a form of debt that converts to equity, um, at a, a subsequent financing. So we, we, we raised that money with an idea with a, um, and we had a point in time picked out. So we were like, we want to launch by holiday. And that just gave us the time pressure to then go out and raise something. And it's a nice thing about having a time goal is not only are you convincing yourself that you have to get it done by then, but you can then go and convince other people that you need a cash by a certain point in time to make it happen. So we really use that. And then since then have raised a little bit more money and, um, have used that to grow the business. But at this point in time, we're, we're in a pretty good place where I, you know, we're, we're making it, we're, we're getting very close to break even. And so we're just really managing the cash at this point and growing in a way that's very sustainable and not just using, using equity to, to, um, bring on new customers, but really do it in a thoughtful and sustainable way. Cause it's really, 
it's really um, enticing to just go get a bunch of money to use for customer acquisition. But ultimately, if the bones of the business aren't there, that can be a really risky move that can really come back to bite you in, in the future. It works for some people and it doesn't for others. So yeah. I think um, those like speed to growth and um, kind of strategies, we're going to see a lot of people, a lot of brands disappearing, right? Because they're not going to be sustainable. It's like exciting for a minute and then there's nothing else mm-hmm. there and they have nothing left, no resources. And like CPG is different from um, software, you know? And I think it's like, especially being in Silicon Valley, like the different business models, like it it does matter. And like there are, there are opportunities for CPG to really take off on, um, and that's a beautiful thing. It's just, you have to do it in a way where you know that the, I think that the, that, the platform for, um, for the, the bones of the business is, is strong to support that and not just lighting money on fire. Well, I'm <laughs> thrilled to hear your story and to get to know you. I really enjoyed talking about, with you and learning about you. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Same here. Thank you so much for having me. And it's been a joy to get to know you and inspiring to hear your story. So oh, thanks. Oh, thank you. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Erica. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.